Hello and welcome to another episode of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. In tonight's episode, we will be talking about the Fox Sisters. Three sisters who emerged as spiritualists and mediums in the mid-19th century. But before we get into tonight's, into tonight's episode, I want to personally thank everyone and each and every one of our listeners here tonight who are, who, you know, even thought to tune in to, to tonight's new episode. We've got listeners from all around the world, and that's really flattering, I think. So... I just want to personally thank all of y'all for listening to me ramble about the paranormal. So, before we dive right into tonight's episode, I just want to say, how's your guys' weather from wherever you are? Because where, where, where I am right now, it's actually pretty cold. It's still pretty, almost wintry, if you get what I'm saying. It's pretty cold outside right now, and it's April. I expect, you know, the mid-60s and the low or mid-70s at least, but this is just a little too cold for my liking. But without anything further said, I wish you guys a happy spring and an even happier summer. But for now, let's think spring. (laughs) What's your guys' favorite thing about spring? Is it the rain? The flowers? I gotta say, probably it's probably the nature for myself, but everybody's different. Okay, so without me rambling about spring, let's just dive right into tonight's episode and learn a little bit about the Fox Sisters. Chloe says hello. That's my little black kitty who you hear meowing in the background. Chloe, say hello. Meow. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear her little chatterings, but it's really cute. Anyway, so with the company of me and my little my little kitty named Chloe, let's talk about the fox sisters. The Fox sisters were three siblings from New York, USA. Leah was the oldest, and she was a good bit older than her little sisters here. Leah was born in 1813, while her siblings Kate 
in Margareta. They were born in 1833 and 1837. Margareta was born in 1833. She was born on the 7th of October. And Kate, or Catherine, sometimes she likes to be called Katie, was born on the 27th of March in 1837. So Kate and Margareta, they played an important role in the creation of spiritualism. The younger sisters, Kate and Margareta, would use wrappings to convince their older sister, Leah, that they were communicating with spirits. It was Leah who took took charge over the two mediums. She acted as kind of like a manager to the two girls. And all three of them were very happy at first. You know, communicating with the with the spirits or communicating with the dead. And Leah really enjoyed managing her two younger sisters. Now, Hydesville is a hamlet that no longer exists, but it was part of the town in New York that was called Arcadia and it was just outside of Newark. The house that Kate and Maggie grew up in when they were around 11 and 14 years of age had a reputation of being haunted. Now this was in 1848 but it wasn't until late March that the family became frightened. They were hearing unexplained noises and it sounded like knocking, and at some times, it also sounded like furniture being moved about the house. At night, on March 31st, Kate challenged the ghost, or the spirit, to repeat the snaps of her fingers. And while the ghost actually did do what was asked of it, It was then asked to wrap out the ages of the girls, in which the spirit did also do that as well. The next day, also, I want to mention that the ghost communicated with the girls in front of the sister's mother as well, who was huddled on the bed, while Margaret demonstrated her ability to communicate with this said spirit and she was very frightened because she could not explain where the noises were coming from and so the next day neighbors were called in and a code was developed to spell out responses of the raps heard from the said spirits A code that could signify yes or no, and also, it could be used to indicate a letter of the alphabet to spell out messages. Kate and Maggie had a nickname for the spirit, and that nickname was Mr. Splitfoot, which was another name for the devil.
and that's Chloe chiming in again. Chloe, do you have something interesting to say on the matter? <laughs> you know, y'all, I think it's really quite appropriate to have a little black cat meowing in the middle of your spooky podcast episode. talking about Mr. Splitfoot and that being another nickname for the devil. But later on, y'all, the entity allegedly claimed to be the spirit of a peddler who had died five years earlier in the house by the name of Charles B. Rosna. He had been murdered and he was buried in the cellar. Arthur 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 Conan Doyle writes about this case, and he claimed that the neighbors did dig up the cellar, only to find a few fragments of bone, and there was no person reported as missing under the name of Charles B. Rosna, and that part is going to lead to something so much bigger later in this episode. Kate and Maggie were sent to live in Rochester during the excitement. Kate was sent to live with her sister, who was now married, and Maggie was sent to live with her brother. Her brother's name was David. And the supernatural wrappings continued to follow the two young girls, even into Rochester. And also, I want to mention out that Rochester wasn't too far away from where they were actually living at the time. Rochester, a radical Quaker family, who was a longtime family friend of the Fox family, the Post family, or the couple, Amy and Isaac, invited the girls to the Rochester home. Both Amy and Isaac were so impressed by the genuineness of these supernatural wrappings that they had spread the word among their friends who were also radical Quakers. Now, also, the Post family had just recently, at the time, lost their daughter, and I couldn't find what the cause of death was for the Post's daughter, but it just said that they had had the death of a child in the family, and they wanted to reach out to her, as any parent would, I guess, to see if she was alright, you know, to see if she was at peace, and that... And it goes along those lines. So, this was the core of spiritualists, and on the 14th of November in 1849, the sisters demonstrated their spiritualist wrappings at the Corinthian Hall, which the Post family rented in Rochester. It was the first demonstration of spiritualism before a paying public in a history of public events that featured 
a spiritualist held by a leader of the U.S. or any type of any other country. The Fox Girls became famous after a performance in 1850 in New York. After their live demonstrations, several imitators claimed that they could indeed communicate with the dead as well. Also, some famous guests have attended the demonstrations of the Fox sisters, some of them including William Cullen Bryant, George Bancroft, William Lloyd Garrison, Nathaniel Parker Willis, Horace Grinley, James Fenimore Cooper, and Sigourney Truth. So we have a bunch of abolitionists, um, poets, writers, statesmen in the audience as well. Kate and Maggie became well-known mediums, and they, became, they also began having seances to many people. They were known by hundreds of people. The attendants of these seances were usually interested in the state of railway stock or love affairs, but soon the significance of communicating with the dead on a religious matter became apparent. And Horace Grindley added, was added as a protector of both Kate and Maggie. He enabled them to move in the right social circles. However, during their fame, under no real parental supervision or guide, Maggie and Kate began to drink wine quite heavily. And you can just guess what came from that. They started becoming, you know, alcoholics. They started having drinking problems. In 1851, Reverend C. Chauncey Burr wrote in the New York Times that he believed that the girls produced the rapping noises by not communicating with a spirit, but by their joints. He said that the sounds were so loud that they could be heard in the hallway, in a very large hallway. That same year, three investigators by the names of Austin Flint, Charles E. Lee, and C.B. Coventry from the University of Buffalo examined the raps and produced, that were produced by the girls, and they concluded that they were made by cracking their bone joints, such as their toes, their knees, their ankles, or their hips. They discovered that the girls could not produce the wraps when they were sitting on a couch or if they had a cushion that was placed underneath their feet. In 1853, Charles Grafton Page of the Washington, D.C. investigated the girls. Now he had a keen eye for fraudulent behavior, especially about science. He applied his skills to expose the Fox sisters. He had attended two sessions performed by the sisters. 
In his book, Psychomancy, written in 1853, he notes that he observed that the rappings or the knocking noises always came from below the sisters' long dresses. He then asked if the spirits could produce a sound at a distance from their own bodies. That's one that that is when one of the girls climbed into a wardrobe where her dress touched the wood. The sound was then transmitted through the wood. She was not able to produce a sound with sufficiency to control enough noise to produce spirit communication. Charles Grafton Page survives that the girls were hiding contraptions from underneath their dresses. In 1857, the Boston Courier set up a prize of $500 to any medium who could demonstrate the ability to their committee to communicate with the dead. The Fox sisters entered the contest and they were investigated by three Harvard professors. They failed the test and the committee concluded that the raps were produced by bone and joint movements such as feet. Kate was examined by William Crooks, a prominent physicist from 1871 to 1874, and he concluded that the raps produced were genuine, but Crooks was known to be gullible, and the mediums that he investigated were all caught using trickery. In 1887, according to the Seabird Commission, after investigation of several mediums, they could have all used fraudulent methods. This included Maggie, as Professor Vermes felt pulsations on her foot while sitting in on one of Maggie's sessions and hearing the rapping spiritual response from where Maggie was sitting herself. Later in life, Leah, with the death of her first husband, went on to marry a rich banker. Maggie met an Arctic explorer who was convinced that both Maggie and Kate were involved in fraud, so he sought out to break Maggie away from the group with the guidance of Leah. His name was Elisha King. In the year 1852, after he and Maggie got married, Alicia, after Maggie married Alicia, she converted to Roman Catholic faith. But after Alicia died in 1857, she returned to her work as a medium and joined her sister, Kate, in England. Kate moved to England in 1871 on a wealthy New York banker's dime. This was so Kate would not feel compelled to accept money for her services as a medium. The trip was considered missionary work as Kate was only, um, she only sat for prominent people who let their names be printed as witnesses. And in 1872, Kate married J. H. D. Jenkins.
Jenkin. H.G. Jenkin was a London barrister. He was a legal scholar and a spiritualist. He died in 1881, leaving Kate with two sons to look after. of October in 1888, Maggie decided to tell the origins behind the Hydesville incident, and I quote her when I'm telling you guys what she told the press. So right before I tell you guys about this, this is basically Maggie's confession. Alright, so let me start by quoting her a bit here. Mrs. Underhill, my eldest sister, took Kate and me to Rochester. There it was we discovered a new way to make wraps. My sister, Katie, was the first to observe that by swishing her fingers, she could produce a certain noises with her knuckles and joints, and that the same effect could be made with the toes, finding that we could make wraps with our feet. First with one foot, then with both. We practiced this until we could do this easily when the room was dark. Like most perplexing things, when made clear, it is astonishing how easily it is done. The wrapping is simply the result of a of perfect control of muscles of the leg below the knee, which govern the tendons in the foot and allow the action of the toe and ankle bones that are not commonly known. Such perfect control is only possible when the child is taken out of early age and carefully and continually caught to taught to practice the muscles which grow stiffer over the years and later in life. This then is the simple explanation of the whole method of knocks and raps. End quote. See, she also said in a signed confession which was given to the press and it was published by the New York World, to quote her, I say, a great many people when they hear the rapping imagine at once the spirits are touching them. It's a common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago when I lived on 42nd in 42nd Street, and I did some wrappings for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair, and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. Of course, that was just pure imagination. End quote. Now, Maggie felt pressed and pressured to recant her confession in November of 1889 due to pressure from the 
spiritualist movement and her own financial troubles. She was destitute. She had tried to return to the spiritualist movement, but never again did she attract the proper clientele over the years. Both Kate and Maggie developed serious drinking habits, and they quarreled with their older sister Leah and other lead, leading members of the spiritualist movement. At around 1888, other members were concerned that Kate could not probably take probably properly take care of her children and Maggie was contemplating returning back to the Catholic faith. Kate was drinking so much that she couldn't properly take care of her own sons, her own kids. Now both Maggie and Kate had rejected the spiritualist movement later in life, and I quote Katie when I say, or Kate, or Catherine, either one of those nicknames, but this is what Kate said. I regard spiritualism as one of the greatest curses that the world has ever known, and that was Kate, Katie Fox Jenkins, on the 9th of October in 1888. And to quote Maggie, I say that I have been chiefly instrumental in per perpetrating the fraud of spiritualism upon a all-too-confiding public. Most of you doubtless know the greatest sorrow in my life has been that this is true, though it has come late in my day. I am prepared to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I am here tonight as one of those founders of spiritualism to denounce it as, it as absolute falsehood from beginning to end, as the flimsiest superstitions, the most wicked blasphemy in the world. Maggie, aka Margarita Fox Kane. So within a few years, both Maggie and Kate were destitute, they were drunks, and they were shunned by their once supporters. Kate died in her home on 609 Columbus Avenue in New York City on July 3rd, 1892, and less than one year later, Maggie was deep in alcoholism and she was living off of charity. 
She was living as the sole tenant in an old tenant house on 456 West 56th Street. She was taken into the home of spiritualist Mrs. Emily B. Ruggles in Brooklyn, where she died on the 8th of March in 1893. All three of the sisters are interned in Brooklyn, New York. Both Maggie and Kate are interred in the Cypress Hill Cemetery, but Leah, Leah is interred with the rest of the Fox family in Greenwood Cemetery. Leah died on the 1st of November in 1890. In eight, in 1904, the body that was associated with the body of the peddler Charles B. Rosna from the Hydesville case was found in the cellar when a false wall came down. The tin box, which apparently belonged to the peddler, was found in the boxes now in the Lilydale Museum. But according to a skeptical researcher, Joe Nickel, he concluded that after researching the box and its primary sources of the bones that he discovered with it, he discovered that they were merely, or at least part, animal bones. There was never a confirmation that Charles B. Rosna, the peddler, ever existed. Even the false wall that was destroyed was thought to be from foundation expansion and not a secret grave. thoughts and it's pretty brief for tonight's episode but 
I just want to mention one thing that was kind of going through my head while I was doing the research for tonight's episode. But remember way, way, way back in the beginning of the episode when I mentioned that the house where the sisters lived in, Maggie and Kate, the house that they lived in in 1848, had a reputation of being haunted. Well, who's to say that they, like the girls, didn't hear a strange noise that they couldn't explain at first? And they thought, oh, well, maybe it's a ghost. You know what I'm saying? And I thought, maybe it is a ghost. You know, this house has a reputation of being haunted. They say it's haunted, so who knows? So what if they discovered that they have a new trick that they can do with popping their joints and popping their toes and their knees and their ankles? And they decided to, you know, trick their parents into thinking that their house really is haunted. They just kind of gave in to the local lore that the house was haunted and they played it up. But what I'm saying is maybe they did hear something or see something that they couldn't explain. And I just thought, hey, there's an audience for this type of thing, for ghost stories and communication of the dead. Why don't we just pretend that we're communicating with spirits? And see how much attention and money we can get from this. I mean, back in those days, anything was possible. And people were looking for answers from their loved ones. Because, as we know, back in the 1800s, I mean, compared to the doctors and medical science that we have today, the doctors weren't that great. People were dropping over like flies left and right. And I suppose, I mean, I would understand, if you're back in the year 1848, where people died of toothaches and edema and stuff like that, you would want answers. You would want to know if your loved ones were okay in the afterlife. And that's why I think the spiritualist movement really took off even after the Fox sisters were They're exploited, they're exposed for being frauds. But that's just me. So what do you guys think? Do you think it came from something like that? Or do you think they were completely just full of it? From all sides of the spectrum. You let let me know down in the comments. I would like to know. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like they are full of it. With the whole, you know, going in front of groups of 400 people, 200 people, and doing private, private, you know, seances, and, but, you know what, maybe it did come from something. Who knows? And that's my afterthoughts.
Alright y'all, thank you guys so, so much for joining me for tonight's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And let me know what you guys think about the Fox Sisters. Complete pods. With maybe something on the extra... On the... With maybe something extra. Who knows? But I, I feel like they're completely just liars and... They took advantage of people's emotions religiously and all that good stuff. Without any further ado, I'm going to wish you guys a good night. And I will see you guys next week for an all new episode of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. I don't know what the topic is going to be about, but we'll figure it out like we always do. So... I want to wish you guys a good night or a good morning, whatever time you guys are listening to this episode. Make good choices. Be kind to one another. Stay safe. In all, in always, stay spooky.